0: Oh, good morning to you! It is so good to have you with us this morning. Um, we started last week uh, on Easter Sunday about this idea of taking up your cross, cross bearing, and it's amazing because through the Gospels you'll see that Jesus references the the seriousness of living for Him. That it's not to be taken lightly. That they are to they're if you're gonna if you're gonna claim to be a follower of Christ. There should be a level of expectation. There should be commitment level. There should be evidence. And last week we looked at that when Jesus was talking to his disciples and he asked that great question. He says, well, who do you say I am? Because when he's talking to his disciples, he says, that's really important. And so we're gonna be looking at this series over the next several weeks. If you've got your Bibles, if you didn't bring one and you need one, there are some in the back that you're welcome to go grab. As a matter of fact, if you don't have a Bible, you can have one of those. We're gonna be in Luke chapter 14. But I've been thinking about this all week, just about this idea of carrying your cross, about living and doing the things for God that he called us to. And this cross thing, taking up your cross, is some serious stuff. And Jesus doesn't soften how he wants us to live for him. And so when you, when you see this idea, we gave you this definition last week, and you get to use it again this week. It says, when Jesus, what did Jesus mean when he said, take up your cross and follow me? Well, here's what we we gave you, you gave, we gave you last week. It says, we die to self-determination, to running our lives, and surrender using Jesus for our agenda. So we talk about that we're going to die to our agenda, we're doing it for ourselves working our salvation out that what Christ, let Christ do that and that's a tough thing because all of us have determination we want to do well we want to work hard and but I think there's so much of that self-determination that sometimes that that Jesus loses the the, the appeal like well what can I do and we talked about that So die to self determination to running our lives and surrender using Jesus for our agenda. Because I think the more that we can get well, Jesus, I did this for you, so I should get. And Jesus, that's a dangerous trap because when you start to trying to get like Jesus needs, owes you something. And so Jesus is looking at his people. I remember in college at Midwestern, we were talking about that a large group of people followed Jesus around. And he was really popular but not for the reasons you would think i mean a lot of people followed him around for the healings which was important some of them hung around because of the food he provided and some of them hung around because they thought that he might overthrow the roman government and that he could then we would have this messiah that had been prophesied so you got those three things kind of running around and Jesus sees that these people, um, I remember my professor said, he said, he called them miracle mongers. They just kind of followed Jesus from one city to the next waiting for him to do something else. And they, they really were all that interested in spiritual things. Uh, they were just kind of following along. And it was interesting because Jesus speaks to that in John. You don't have to go there. I want to go there for you. John chapter 6, it's a great just a couple of verses here but in verse John chapter 6 starting in verse 53 I want you to listen to what he said he said truly I say to you unless you eat of my flesh of the son and drink of his blood you will have no you will have no life in you whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life and i will raise him up from the last day for my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and i in him as the living father sent me i have been i've i have i live because the father whoever who feeds whoever feeds on me will also live because of me This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread that fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue, and he taught in Capernaum. When many of his disciples heard this, they said, it is hard saying, who can listen to this? But Jesus, knowing himself that the disciples were grumbling about this, said to them, do you take offense to this? then what if you were to see that the Son of Man ascended into heaven where he was before? Keep reading, verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life to the flesh and its help along the word. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning those who would, who those who did not believe and those that would betray him. And then he said, this is why I told you that one that the one who came to me unless he is granted by the Father. After many of his disciples turned, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walk with him. So Jesus said to the 12, do you want to leave me as well? And it's interesting because when you listen to what Jesus was saying, he was not saying physically taking on the eating the flesh of Jesus and drinking his blood. It was metaphorically that are you committed to to doing whatever it takes to live for me are you really all in with doing what I'm are you prepared to sacrifice and the disciples the people who had been following around for the food the miracles and hopefully a ruler who will overthrow Rome they went whoa I'm not signing up for this now, I have to tell you um, from a church plant perspective from a model to grow a church this was not a great thing Because Jesus lost a significant amount of followers. That would be like me saying what I just said to you, and the next week half of you go in, I'm not no, I'm gonna find a church that will tickle my ears, that won't push my buttons, and leave. Now can you think about this for just a second? Jesus does this. The disciples are like he looks at the disciples and goes, Do you want to leave too? And they're like, Well, no. Look at what look look at what it says. Look at what it says. He says, Simon, Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed and have come to know that you are the one, of the holy God. You're it. We get it. We know who you are. Where would we go? But think about this for just a second. There's this mass following, and let me just, let me just help you out. When there's a lot of people in this room tonight, you feel good, don't you? You're like, wow, look, at, look what God's doing. Now think about this for just a second. The disciples... See all these people following around. Now, wouldn't that be exciting? you got all these people following you. Jesus has got all these people. Jesus knows the heart. The disciples are looking at the numbers. Now, numbers are good, but are they always an indicator? They're not. And so they're following them around, and, and, and Jews, the disciples are like, Wow, look, look at this. This is amazing. All these people follow us from town to town to town. And then Jesus says, Are you prepared to eat? my blood or eat my my flesh and drink my blood are you prepared to live for me at a level that might cost you your life are you prepared for me to 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 live for me against any circumstance and then all of a sudden people started peeling off and then the disciples were like okay this isn't going to be as popular as I thought it would be and so they leave and Jesus says "I, I know what's going on here I love what Jesus said. I wrote this down. It says, Jesus was not a salesman. He did not sell Christianity by telling them and us the perks. He didn't. Let me keep reading. He told them and us the cost that we would experience. And he encourages us to carefully evaluate the cost before we follow him. He says, count it. Be serious. If you're going to follow me, you can't do it from a distance. And I wrote this down too. A crowd is not the same thing as a church. Think about that for just a second. A crowd, anybody can draw a crowd. But a church walks and matures and reflects Christ well. And so we see that. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to jump into that passage now. We're going to catch it about midstream because Jesus is speaking again and he's got this great crowd. Look at verse 14. It says, Now, a great crowd accompanied him and he turned and said to them. Now, he says this to them because he knows that there are three groups following him and they're interwoven looking for miracles, looking for food, looking for a new ruler and they could want all three. He says, Oh, there's our word. There's our powerful little word. Verse 26 if, means if, means you may not if anyone comes after me which salvation and does not hate is a strong word so don't panic here, doesn't hate his his own father and mother wife and children and brothers and sisters and yes even his own life he cannot be my disciple hate is a strong word Jesus uses it metaphorically to say how committed are you willing to be how committed are you to, to taking up your cross and actually living this out for me? And he, he uses such strong words because everybody perks up and goes, whoa, hate? I don't want to hate my parents. I don't want to hate my wife or my husband. I don't want to hate me. He says, no. What are you prepared to do to really take up your cross? Because half-hearted crosswalking doesn't work. Crossbearing doesn't work. He says, are you prepared? Are you really committed to do this? Verse 27, whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. He says, whoever cannot take up the cross and come after me, it means you've got to take up your cross. You can't take it based on your parents. You can't take it based on the way it used to be. You have to take up your cross, your cross now. And he says, you've got to take yours up. You can't do what you can't think about what anybody else is doing. Well, what, is everybody else taking up their cross? I don't know. Not everybody's doing this, Danny. No, you take up your cross. You take up your cross. Verse twenty-seven says it all. Whoever does not bear his cross, bear is not a burden. It's a privilege. You bear witness to what Christ has done for you. What we talked about last week, Easter. Everything that we see on on Easter Sunday should be reflected today and tomorrow and so on what we celebrate he says you bear what Jesus has done for you on the cross and that's what bearing witness living it out and so if you're taking notes I want you to write down a couple things cross bearing we died to self determination to running our lives and surrender using Jesus for our agenda you've already heard that we're not to tag along at a safe distance but to be identified as his. See, what Jesus is saying is if you're going to bear your cross, you can't just kind of step back a little bit. You just can't kind of you don't want you don't want, you don't want to be fanatical here. But man, we got too many closet Christians. You know what happened You know this is what I, I this is what I think happens. Sunday comes. Oh, going to church. That's what we do. So I uh, it's Sunday, you know I need to do the right thing and you know get my cross out. it's Sunday. that's what I do. I need to bear my cross today because I 'm going to church, so everybody knows I bear my cross today, and so we bear our cross today. Everybody, you know, we love Jesus. How about you? Uh, We quote Scripture. we We read our Bibles. We tithe. We go to a life group. We bear our cross today. And then when the service is over, too many of us... All right. Next Sunday, get that back out again. Do you think that's what Jesus intended? He did not. He intended, first off, that it would not be put in a bag, that it would be public, and that our faith would represent what he did for us. That we would not put it in a bag and pick it out again on Wednesday night because we've got to be here for Awana or for student ministry stuff or for Bible study or for worship preparation. But he desired and his expectation was is that this would come out And would be out. And that we don't get to put it in a bag, per se, and put it away till the next time we see somebody that knows us from church or that we're going to church, so we better say and do the right things. Jesus says, take up your cross. When it says take up your cross, does it say certain places? It doesn't. It just says take up your cross. That means in your homes, where you go to school, with your family, with your friends. Where you work, the places you frequent, certainly at church, if you go walk down the sidewalk, you take up your cross. He says, So well, we can't do this from a safe distance. He's not he's like, come on now. Not from a safe distance. Taking up your cross can't be based on your comfort level. At some point, taking up your cross will ask you, Do you really trust him? Do we really trust him? The answer to that question is revealed in our daily lives. At school at home? You can, you can give all the good answers today. You can give them in your life group, but where the, where the cross bearing hits the road is when you leave here shortly. Did you put this quietly in your bag? And, and, and when I use this as metaphorically, I, you should understand that, but a lot of people taking up their cross is kind of like, yeah, I do sometimes. In the right circumstances, if other people around me are taking up their cross, then I certainly will. Jesus didn't say that. He said, you're going to take up your cross? Take up your cross? Because if you're not, you can't be my disciple. And he's like, come on. And so taking up your cross can't be based on your comfort level. At some point, you've got to ask, do I really trust that what he did on the cross is transforming my life? And that it's enough. When I was in, uh, I was a freshman in high school. Um, <clears throat> I loved playing basketball. I grew up playing basketball, and uh, my freshman year, I decided to actually try out for the basketball team. It As it's not there anymore, but it was Carlton Junior High, and um, I went and tried out. And the coach, the coach told me uh, he was also PE my PE coach, and he said, "Hey, you need to try out. You ought to try out." Now, how many of you ever tried out for a sport? Now, here's what I learned quickly about trying out for a sport. The first couple of days, their focus is to weed out those who aren't really committed. Am I right? By running. And I remember that I I went to try out, and I was in, as a 14-year-old, as much shape as you could be in, um, and I went and tried out, and I remembered that for two days, we didn't touch a basketball. And I was like, well, I didn't sign up for this. I, I, I signed up to play basketball. But I, as a 14 year old, I also didn't realize that the coach, he, it would be easy for him to throw me a ball because, man, if this was all the tryouts, yeah, I'm all in. But he was trying to discern who was serious and who wasn't, who was committed who wasn't and after the second day I made up in my mind because we had not touched a basketball I'm done this is all there is last I checked the game of basketball is to take a basketball and bounce it down the floor and put it in a hoop and that's where you get points I don't think you can do that just by running alone and I remember that um, the third day of tryouts was the final day And so I just got on the bus and went home. And my coach, um, PE coach too, the next day, he said, you quit? I said, yes, I didn't like the running. He said, you were already on the team. You just had to make one more day. And I said, I didn't like the running. He said, I do the running because I want to find out who's serious and who's not. And he looked at me and he goes, you shouldn't have quit. You know, I'm 55 and I remember that like it was yesterday. Because I could see the disappointment on his face that you had one more day. And I know you didn't like the running, but the fun part was about to begin. And you couldn't stay for two days. And I say that to you because Jesus is now about to say look if you're going to be my disciples before you before you say yeah I'm Jesus yay let's go he says look at what he says verse 28 he says for which of you desiring to build a tower doesn't first sit down powerful words hear me and count the cost see it's one thing to say I'm going to follow I'm going to be a christian I'm going to give my life to God. He says, that's great. I'm so happy for you. But before you say this, you need to say, what are you prepared to do? What are you prepared to let go of? What area of life is God going to have access to? Does he get it all or are you going to compartmentalize? Like you're going to be the Jesus person on Sunday, but not when you leave. See, what he is expecting us is that if you're going to bear your cross, you're going to bear it at home, you're going to bear it at school, you're going to bear it with your friends, you're going to bear it on on social media, you're going to bear it where you work, you're going to bear Christ, period. You don't get to pick and choose. So he says, before you say all this, let me help you out. Count the cost. Count. And see, when I was in tryouts, I didn't count the cost. I didn't like the running and as soon as we did that for two days, I was like, oh, I'm, psh, I'm done. I didn't count the cost. If I had counted the cost and I realized that all I was just running, running is part of getting conditioned for basketball, I get it. And Jesus is saying, before you say you love Jesus and how committed you are, he says, I need you to count the cost. Now, look, this is an important thing. Why would he say this to us? Because we got far too many christians who who say they're Christians and follow Christ, but they have parked their cross where no one can see it and no one knows about it, and when Sunday rolls around or the right situation rolls around, then they break their cross out and they say oh yeah I'm a, I'm a Christian too uh, yeah, I go to this church and oh yeah i've been i've been I, 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 you come up with stuff, but man. Jesus didn't specify those things. He just said, are you going to live for me? Are you going to acknowledge what I did for you? He says, count the cost because I know that when somebody is living for God, it has the potential to affect a lot of other people in a really amazing way. Am I right? It does. When we say, I'm going to be a disciple of Christ and I'm going to carry my cross to the people around me, it has the potential to impact them when we do. So, Jesus says, you better count the cost. You better count it, because if you're going to be my disciple, it's not for the faint of heart. It's not for the faint of heart. And so, look at what he says. He said, Go back to verse 27. He says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. And then drop down to verse 28. For which of you desiring to build a tower does not first sit down and count the cost? You count. If you've ever built a home, you counted the cost. I remember Beth and I built a few homes over our, our, our years of together. And, and I love what builders say. You say, you know, we you know, can you expand that out? Sure. Do you, you want the garage? Sure. You want the, you want the ceiling? Yeah, we could do that. Yeah. yeah. I have never met a builder in all of, we built five homes. I've never built a builder that went, no, you guys probably shouldn't do that. They're happy to build. Cha-ching. They make some money, and that's fine. But let me just let me just help you out there. When you go and do your final paperwork, your 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 financier will say, "Well, here are the here are the upgrades that you requested, and now here is your payment." Count the cost. Now I remember when Beth and I were building a few times, we'd be like, "Oh, we really like this, and we really like this, and we really like this, and we really like this," and then we both would go, "We can only use one. What are you picking?" because we can't do them all. And see, Jesus is saying, count the cost to be a follower of Christ. Don't don't walk into it from a distance. Don't walk into it like, you know, I don't want to be too close to Jesus in case somebody sees me. Folks, we need to identify ourselves as a follower of Christ, not in an arrogant, belligerent style, but we need to say, yeah, I'm a follower of Christ. I believe that what He did for me on the cross has has and is radically transforming my life. And not every day do I get it right, but I'm going to tell you what, that what he did on the cross for me takes care of it. So count the cost. Verse 27, Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him. There is something tragic about somebody who claims to be a follower of Christ, but their life does not mimic it. And everybody goes, oh, here we go again. Verse 30, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? Probably not. Verse 32, and if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So he says, what are you prepared to do? Are you going to count the cost to be my disciple? We're at, and let me just help you out. It, to be a disciple of Christ means that you're preparing. You're saying, God, I'm all in. And, and, and let me just tell you, it's a journey. The, the more time you spend with God, the closer you get with him, the more confident you are to stand up and say, I'm a follower of Christ. I stand on these things. I stand on who God is. And he says... Look at these guys. He gives you some scenarios. He goes, these people counted the cost before they just jumped into it. And, and he's, he's trying to help us out. He's like, I don't need you to say I'm a follower of Christ when you're really not going to be. we got plenty of those. we got plenty of people that say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And let me just tell you, that is a really safe answer. And you know, what, you know why a lot of people say that? Is that way you will stop talking to them about spiritual things. I've met a lot. Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I go to church. Yeah, I'm a Christian. Like, okay, so that way... You won't talk to me about any more, because you're probably going to find out that my cross is safely tucked away. And so you get to verse 33, and then you get a therefore. The therefore is saying everything that he has just said, you better hear this. Therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all, he cannot be my disciple. It means you say, I'm not going to be this. I'm not going to do that. I'm going to live this way. I'm going to surrender this. I'm going to step over and say, yes, align me with Christ. Align me with what he did. I'm not going to stand at a distance and let Jesus walk. I'm going to walk side by side, arm in arm, so that everybody knows that I'm identified with him. I'm a follower of Christ. Jesus is... He is, not, he is not being soft here because he understands the importance that we live out our faith. And we do. We live it out. Whether you think it's not, we do. We live it out publicly. So therefore, any of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple, he goes, you've got you to be able to give it all up. You've got to be able to say, God, your way, not my way. And that, that's hard. That's scary. And if you're taking notes, Jesus said this. "So said, Jesus did not ask anyone to give up anything without having done it himself first. Amen. Jesus isn't asking you to sacrifice any more than he has. Quite frankly, we can't. But he, is, he understands what he says for you to be his disciple. He understands the ramifications of that because that represents that. And when he tells you and I to step up and say, I'm a follower of Christ, I'm going to bear my cross not in a burdensome way, but in a way of saying, God, look at what, look what you've done. And I, I was trying to think, like when you think about that idea, the count the cost, and, I, and this kind of just congealed for me, and it's this. The idea of counting the cost is to say, I love this, it's worth it. It's worth it. So if you count the cost, you say, it's worth it. It's worth it. It's worth it to be identified with Christ. It's worth it to be living my life for Him because what He has done for me. Paul said that in, in Romans chapter uh, 6 or 8. He said, one, chapter 1 verse 7, I think, or 6. Anyway, and he said this. He says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. The reason he said that is because he knew how it profoundly had changed Him. How profoundly had it had changed Him. Because I'm not ashamed of the gospel, and you shouldn't be either. See, we can't be, and we would never say the words ashamed, but let me just tell you, when you're silent, or when you spin it, or when you quietly just kind of sit there, do the math. I would call it ashamed. When we can't stand up for God and say, the cross, that the Easter that we celebrated actually happened, somebody goes, well, that didn't. Yeah, it did. Uh, I, I love uh, Timothy Keller. Uh, he said this, he said that the, the fact that Easter happened means that the birth was real. The birth actually happened because of what we celebrated last week. So when you say count the cost, because ideally what Jesus is wanting you to do when you count the, cross, the cost is for you to go, this is worth it. This is worth it. And Paul spends the better part of the letters he's written to to, to do the same thing. It's worth it. It's worth it to to be counted as a follower of Christ, to take out your cross and to bear it and say, yes, I am a follower of Christ. Yes, I am a follower of Christ. Yes, I'm living for him. And some days I don't get everything right. And Jesus is not talking and not... But he's not talking about perfection because he understands that we're not perfect. But he's asking us to give an effort here. He's asking us to say, what are you prepared to do? Have you counted the cost? Are you going to live for me? And Jesus said this in Matthew nineteen twenty nine. He said this. He says, everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or fathers or mothers or children or lands for my sake, Will receive a hundredfold, and will inherit eternal life. And let me just help you out there. First off, that's not talking about prosperity gospel. He is talking about our eternal rewards are awaiting us. And he, he the the last part of that is eternally. And so then he finishes us out with this verse. He says, "Salt is good." Now, I don't know about you, how many of you? Um, how many of you like salt let's be honest, how many of you like salt? okay, get your hands up I, 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 I've seen some of you on Wednesday night. I'm just saying um, I limit my salt not because I don't like it but because um, for somebody with atrial fib you you have to look for things that can reduce it so I, I still get salt I just don't get as much as I used to and salt makes things taste pretty good. remember right? they do they add flavor they, they they they're, they were preservative, uh, but definitely they add flavor. And I remember um, my mom every now and then would go on a on a one of those just super diets, and she got these things, these Quaker Oat things called rice cakes. <laughs> now they they shouldn't be called rice cakes; they should be called skeet. <laughs> boom, boom. That's about all they're good for. I mean, I remember I was like, it's popcorn. And caramel, how good! I mean, it's got to be good. I mean, I mean, I, I bit into that, and I and it was like it was like I bit into a bag of dust. It was horrible. It had no flavor. It and, and my mom like my mom was like, "Aren't those good?" I'm like, "No, not at all, mother." And I'm like, "No wonder you're losing weight because this has got nothing." You're like, you might as well just eat air. It was better for you. And I remember that it had no flavor, no salt, no nothing in it. She goes, well, that's what I'm, I'm like. Yeah, no wonder, Mom. It's like, it's, um, I'm, Mom, I mean, we're just going to go outside and shoot these things because they're, they're that's the only thing they're good for. And I, this idea that salt, now think about that in your faith for just a second. When our faith is bland and blah and woe is me and self-focused and distracted, and envious and tired does it make Jesus look very appealing it doesn't and when we're self focused and when we're blah and I realize we get that way from time to time but when we portray Jesus as a yeah I'm Christian yeah yeah it's been okay yeah, he did a lot for me on the cross. I wish he'd done more. You know, I, I, I've, I've been trying to follow Jesus, but it's hard. I, you know, no one else in my, my family is a believer. And no one at work is a believer. And everybody on the way to work aren't believers because they don't let me get through. And the cashier always lets the lady go through with the the extra the, the smaller amount even in the small checkout and my health isn't great and I, I have all these reoccurring health issues and I know that God can do some stuff but man it just doesn't seem like it's been good to me now does that sound like a Jesus you want to be a part of now are all those I don't want to minimize those things because they're all real for all of us. But despite all of those things, Jesus is saying, I still went to the cross for you. And I have met tons of people in my life that have lived for God despite all of those things and said, you know what? These are things, but what Jesus did for me is way more amazing, way more awesome. And I'm going to live for that accordingly. So he says, salt is good. But as salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is not for use for the soil or or for manure pile. It is thrown away. And then he says this. He says, he who has ears to hear, you better hear. You better hear. And he said this at the end because he says, look, if you're going to be my disciples, count the cost. You've got to take up your cross. You better hear this because I want you to understand I'm committed that when you're going to follow me, I need you to identify with me. You can't do this from a distance. Cross bearing is personal and it's public. We can't, we don't get to choose. We don't get to say, um, yeah Jesus but you don't understand where I work you don't understand my family you don't understand what it's like at school middle school or high school you don't understand what it's like with my friends you don't understand what it's like where we live Jesus like really? I think I do I think I do and so he is telling us that you've got, to, you've, got to, you've got to personalize it because the more you personalize it the more public it will be the more that your relationship with Christ is saying I'm going to live for him and I may, not, I may get nervous, and I might get scared, but I'm going to do my best. I'm, gonna get, I'm committed. I'm all in. Because Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a pastor in a Nazi concentration camp, I, I quoted one of him last week, and I finished with this one because I think it fits well. He says, Only when we become completely oblivious of ourselves are we ready to bear the cross for his sake. See, Jesus said to count the cro- cost and then he said before that if you're going to be my disciple you've got to take up your cross that means you've got to take up what I did that means you've got to take up the salvation part of this and take it and go and do something with it and next week we're going to see that because he tells his disciples I'm sending you out amongst wolves be sheep and he says the same thing for us take up your cross live for me It's it's not for the faint of heart take a gulp count the cost but if you're going to do it, be all in. Don't, don't, do, don't do this Jesus stuff from a distance. i got too many of those. i got too many people claiming to love Jesus, but their spirituality is in a bag safely tucked away in the closet. And if somebody asks, they can say, yeah, I'm a Christian. And we've been called to much more than that. We have been called to be a disciple of Christ, to live it out publicly. And when you, and when you understand what, the way Jesus did that, you'll go, okay, I can do that. I can, I can live for God in a respectful way that says I'm standing on the truths of God. You may not like what I do or who I am or what the Bible says, but this is where I am. And you gotta be able to do that. And, and don't spin it, don't wash, don't be silent. Because Jesus at the end of the day is gonna say, where are you? He's gonna draw a line in the sand. He's like, where are you? Are you with me? You can't, you can't get quite up to the line and go, yeah, Jesus, I'm, I'm with you. No, he's like, you gotta be with me got to be with me. And so he says, count the cost. Are you going to be salt? Because salt makes things better. Salt makes things better. They are preservatives. They make things... They And I think about this from a biblical perspective, that salt from a biblical man, it preserves the Word of God. It preserves what he did on the cross. It preserves... What he has for us. It preserves what he did for us. It preserves the word that we can stand on. But to be a disciple means you've got to count the cost. What are you prepared to do? What are you prepared to let go of? What are you prepared to say, God, okay, this has been one area for me to be a true disciple of you I've got to let go of. I've got, to, I've got this issue, or I've got to surrender this, or God, I can't do this anymore. And so he says, count the cost to be my disciple. And he, he's not softening that. And so my question to you this morning is, is, have you counted the cost to follow him? It's not just bringing it here on Sunday. That's easy. That's easy. And a few other times, it's easy. But can you, can't, can you be the cross bearer at work with family who are not believers, with friends who are not believers, at middle school, at high school, at college? with people who clearly do not have the things of God in mind? Can you be light there? That's what He's calling us to. You are not the Savior. You are just the messenger. And that's what we get to do. And I pray that we do that well. Let's pray. Father, I am so thankful for Your standards that to be your disciple is not a half-hearted attempt. It is to be fully committed to taking up our cross and reflecting what you have done for us, to giving thanks, to living in a state of gratitude, to standing in awe that you would love us to the degree that you would allow your son to be exposed to what he did. And God, I thank you that... um, that's your standard. And you didn't back away from it. You didn't apologize for it and neither should we. That we should live our lives in reflection of what the cross has done for us. And that what Jesus, through his resurrection, gives us all the power, the hope, encouragement we need to take up our cross and live for you. And at the end of the day, when it's all said and done for everybody in this room, he's not going to ask us about somebody else's cross. He's going to ask us about our own. He's going to ask us about our own faith journey. He's going to ask us, did we count the cost? He's going to ask us, did we actually take up the cross? And I pray, God, that if there's somebody in this room that needs to confirm that they are a cross bearer, maybe they just thought, man, I've just done the church thing. They may have been going here a long time. I pray, God, that you would give them a a conviction that they need to say, God, I need to take up my cross. And maybe I've never, ever done that before. God, there may be some in this room, they've been closet cross bearers. Their cross comes out at certain times, at certain seasons, but by and large, they're fairly quiet. And God, you're not talking about being some, standing on a street corner yelling, Jesus, save. You're talking about living our faith out in conversations, in actions, the way that we treat people, the things that we stand for, the way that we live our lives. And I ask God that we would reflect you well because of what you have done for us. That we would take up our cross, arm in arm with you, count at the cost, and know that it's worth it and live for you. God, I pray that we would be that kind of church. It's in your name that I pray. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand. I'll be here. We treat this as an altar sometimes. Maybe you just need to do some business with God. So come on.